You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got my buddy Dustin. Now, Dustin has been lugging me around the mountains for the last several days. I mean, he has been kicking my butt. This guy hikes up and down these things so fast, and he's chasing after his dogs. So, like, when we're trying to keep up with dogs, that that's a whole nother level of hiking and climbing out in the mountains, but we've been chasing after mountain lions and Dustin's been doing this for a long, long time. And I had to come out here and check it out with him. So I'm picking his brain today on everything involved when it comes to running hounds, what people should expect if they're wanting to get into being a houndsman or what people should expect if they're going out West to hunt mountain lions or bears or anything else behind dogs. So there's a lot to cover in this one. I'm going to try to keep this intro short Let's jump in. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And uh, Dustin, welcome on the show. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. So right now, I am in Utah, Cedar City to be exact. And I've been chasing mountain lions with you for three days now. Yep, that's correct. Three days. We got one more left. One more. We were hoping for snow tomorrow, but it's still up in the air. Yeah, I don't know if that's gonna happen. We're hoping, but fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm gonna like I'm gonna like rubber band around my fingers tonight <laughs> just so they're crossed the whole time. But um it's been a lot of fun. In this episode though, we're gonna share with everybody who, like me, might be a first time mountain lion hunter. We'll cover some stuff about bears. We'll cover what people need to know and expect when they come out here. So uh, why don't we start by doing this? Why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about your history, how you got into mountain lion hunting and all that? Okay. Yeah. Um, I got into running mountain lions and bears with hounds right just over 15 years ago. Um, I was just at work one day and had some buddies that uh, had ran hounds, you know, and invited me to go along and, so I went out with them one day. We didn't even catch anything, barely trailed anything, and I was hooked. I had a hound within the next week, and it just was a huge snowball from there. Dang, one week you had a hound already? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I I act like that's crazy, but I was hooked after the first time I heard one bark. I mean, we got out and hiked that one trail past the water tower, and it was almost immediate or probably within three or four minutes of hiking, we just hear one let loose. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's like five dogs running out in front of me. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And you're tracking them on your GPS. All of that was enough to get me hooked. So I get it. 
I mean, if if my wife would be cool with it, I'd probably have a hound in a week too. <laughs> that takes a special woman to want to put up with a houndsman and all the hounds. Yeah. So you started with one after a week, and then where did you go from there? Ah, uh, after that, it stayed about one for, I'd say about a year. I just had a bunch of friends that I had, you know, come to know through hounds that I hunted with, so I didn't need more but the more and more we started hunting the more and more it just got all right let's let's get another one so it probably took me a year maybe not even a year quite and I had another one and then after that it just every six months was more and more I stayed pretty regular at about four or five for a lot of years and then once I relocated to southern Utah that's when I really started to get more and more because I started strictly hunting a lot by myself yeah. Are you currently at the most you've ever had? Yeah. yeah. Right now I have 10 and that's the most that I've ever had. And I mean, I've had more when we've had litters of puppies, but 10 dogs that I run consistently. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I talked with you a while ago on the nomadic outdoorsman podcast, kind of got an idea of how this would all play out when I came out here, but it all seems so different. Not than what you told me, but then what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, once we got out, it was like, all right, man, we're going to cruise the roads, lean our head out the window, look for tracks. And you you were probably like, man, I wish I had a more experienced person in the passenger <laughs> seat. Cause that first day I stopped you like every 15 feet, it felt like, and I'm like, Hey, what's this? And you're like, yeah, that's not, that's nothing. <laughs> that's probably where a rock fell down the mountain. <laughs> oh yeah. But I mean, it, leaves room for education too i mean after we looked at it and we found you know the first older track we were able to point out the differences and you know with the lead toe and the triple lobes on the back and everybody learns but it definitely i mean i'd rather have someone stop me for a dog track than miss a lion track oh yeah yeah there's been several like now if it's a good clean dog track or a coyote track it's pretty easy to tell like once you pointed those differences out but then there's the ones where it's like, ooh, that could be it. That could be it. And I'd open the door, you'd look out, and it's like, oh, well, maybe we'll take a closer look. But um, it's been dry ground all week, and, uh, yeah, we were hoping for snow tomorrow. But who knows? We'll see. So uh, can you walk everybody through the process? Like, how does a lion hunt pan out typically? Um, dry ground's definitely a lot tougher than if we're hunting snow um this year's been a weird year we haven't had a snowstorm in over 30 days so the conditions we're hunting right now are probably the toughest you're gonna get i mean if it's all strictly dry ground and there's no hard concrete like snow or there's no frozen mud if it's all just dry dirt it's definitely a lot better when you get the mix of those in it makes it harder especially to find tracks yeah but it's also tougher on the dogs with the scent conditions because once it warms up and that frost comes out that just kills the scent yeah so i i definitely over prepared for the hunt as far as gear goes i mean you've put up with it every day me digging my yard sale out of the back seat of your truck (laughs) and i'm like man i don't know why i brought all this stuff and you're like yeah yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I mean, looking at my pack, I've got like two different knives in there, my headlamp, a tripod. Um, gosh, I, I I had my the first day I had a down layer. I also had my base layers and then I had my outer layers on and I was geared up as if I was going in the backcountry for like three or four days. <laughs> Little did I know we'd be in the truck for a good chunk of it. And then we'd spend several hours hiking out with the dogs. So I guess for, for someone wanting to come out here for the first time, what would you recommend they bring as far as gear goes? I think you nailed it pretty good. Cause it all just depends on the weather. I mean, if it would have been 20 degrees and five inches of snow on the ground, you'd have been right where you needed to be. It just depends on the weather. So I would say come, you know, plan for, you know, 10 degree weather. I mean, depending on where you go, if you're going, you know, Idaho or somewhere else, you might get into those negatives, but I would say plan for the cold. I mean, if the truck can carry it, that's no big deal. Yeah. Um, cause a lot of these hunts, you know, that aren't down here, you're 
riding on snowmobiles into the backcountry. So you're going to want those layers and then shed them before you go hike. But I would say plan for colder weather. And then if you have to leave it in the truck or shed layers while you hike, I would definitely do that. Yeah. I, I mean, luckily I've been pretty comfortable. The one thing that I didn't do yesterday was shed my base layer before we started hiking. I mean, I had my jacket on. I had <laughs> full wool like pants on underneath my my normal pants. And oh, man. We got back there. Holy cow, man. I'm telling you, I was pouring sweat. And I got home, and I was still wet, like, underneath. My socks were wet. The inside of my boots were wet. But we put on a lot of miles yesterday, and it was pretty steep country in some spots. Oh, yeah. I would say, you know, I mean, the GPS told us, I mean, we did around seven and a half miles. But that's as the crow flies. We did a lot of up and down. So I'd say we prayed it closer to nine miles yesterday. And, I mean, I was... I was soaking wet by the time we got back to, I should have left my sweatshirt and stuff at the truck, but you never know. I'd rather yeah. come back sweaty than come back cold. Yeah. I remember when we got kind of to the end of the trail that we were going to, you're like, Hey, 150 yards up the road or up this hill is the road that's going to take us all the way back to the truck. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh sweet. We're going to hit the road. We're going to be back at the truck. And then you're like, yeah, the truck should be somewhere up there. And I was like, oh, uh, like all the way up there? And you're like, yeah. And I pull out my binos and look, and sure enough, it's way out there. And, uh, I mean, that was an incline almost the entire way, but oh, yeah. at least it wasn't up and down like canyon walls or like on slick rock, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it you get down in those canyons hiking and moving with them dogs and following them. And before you know it, you can be a long ways away from the truck before you realize where you have to go back. And that's where, you know, carrying a pack. I mean, I'm pretty bad at it. I don't carry a lot of stuff with me, but I'm just so used to, I'll just follow my dogs and I'll get back when I get back. But other people, I mean, definitely I'd take a backpack with some water snacks. I mean, an extra coat if you need it, but I mean, I'd be definitely be, prepared for spending all day out there for sure once you start hiking and following them you never know how long or far they're gonna go yeah yeah i was thinking about that when we got back in there yesterday i was like man i don't have a ton of stuff the pack was the biggest thing i was thinking about it wasn't even the contents inside of it but i was like man if if we get one treed back here and we shoot it it's gonna have to go over my shoulders like i don't i don't have any <laughs> other way to take it out right now and um, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was expecting if I was thinking like, oh, if we tree this, I'll come back to the truck. Obviously, that was not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, something in my mind just didn't tell me like, hey, bring your backpack, idiot. Um, so I think that's that's a big thing is like being prepared to go out after a lion every day, trying to figure out the right gear to bring with you. And we've like you said, we've been comfortable basically every day hiking but I think it would be in preparation for that, the kill. Mm -hmm. um, but we also, I think one thing that people need to take into account is if you find a good track and you go after a lion, like in the snow, obviously you want to be a lot more prepared than we were just kind of going on walkabouts, running, like walking with the dogs, and then they'd pick up a track here or there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, and most of the times, if you're going to go with an outfitter or a guide or something like that, they're going to have everything in their pack. Most clients aren't going to have to skin it, do, cut it up, do anything like that. And where we were headed, I knew that if we treed one, we would just pack that line to the road mm -hmm. that we, you know, that we hit. And then you're like, oh, we have to go all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> I would have drove my truck all the way around and came up that road. There was, yeah. there was no way I was packing a line back up to the <laughs> truck. But, and it also depends on, you know, what people want, you know, like you, where you want the meat, you're going to carry that lion out whole, but some people don't want that. So you're just going to skin it, take the hide out, head back out. Yeah. And that, that's not that much weight. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised by that here in Utah, like with bears and mountain lions, you don't actually have to take the meat. No, no, you're not required to. The only thing you're required to do, like when you skin it out is leave evidence of sex on the pelt. Yeah. I, I think it. It mentioned like, hey, it'd be great if you would put a stick in the mouth and keep it propped open mm -hmm. so that rigor doesn't set in yeah. and they can extract a tooth mm -hmm. and, and do their studies and stuff like that. But 
I know, I think Colorado requires you to take four quarters of a mountain lion, and I'm sure every state has different recommendations or requirements, but yeah, here in Utah, you can pack out the pelt in the head, and then uh, evidence of sex. Is that, and that's the same with bears, right? Yep. Okay. Exact same. And then, I want to say, in reading, and correct me if I'm wrong, it said something along the lines of like 48 hours you have after the kill in uh, to get it in and get it checked by by conservation. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, you have you know 48 hours to. I mean, they're pretty lenient, but yeah, you can call them, and if they can't come meet you like that afternoon after you kill it, they'll come meet you the next day. And really, all that is is just for them. They check the sex, they pull the tooth, and then they put a permanent tag in it. Oh, okay. And oh, so they come to you mm-hmm. when you get one. Yeah, unless, you know, they might say, hey, can you meet me here at the office or something like that. But a lot of times they'll meet you wherever they can just to make it pretty convenient. Nice. That's awesome. I I think I've only been with on two hunts where we had to take the animal in and get it checked. And that was a mountain goat and a moose. And both of them, we had to go to the conservation department and have them check it there. And they had, like, all their stuff set up to to do whatever measurements or, or studies, uh, study information that they wanted to take. So what, after someone shoots one, what does the conservation department actually check for? Um, so once you shoot it and take it to them, they pull the tooth to age it so they can use that data as far as when they're going towards their predator management, um, like policies and changing tag numbers and seeing how many females or males are getting killed off certain units to try and help manage them better and kind of see the ratios there. And then other than that, they just, you know, they'll check the sex and then they just have to put a permanent tag in it that will have to stay in it forever pretty much. Nice. I I think it's sweet when they do like more investigation into the animals that we take because I know that that obviously goes towards furthering habitat or improving the population or improving the um, male to female ratio within a species. And so when I see like all these regulations and especially like coming in and or bringing it in to, to get it looked at, um, I just think it's sweet. It's like, Hey, there's our, our tag prices at work. Like they're actually doing something with it and, and trying to increase the population. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's like in Utah, they look at like on most units, they want like a 40% female harvest is kind of their sweet spot that they like. So if you go over that, they're going to look at, well, maybe we need to reduce tag numbers here. Or if you're under that, they're like, oh, well, the tag, you know, the ratios are good. We'll kind of leave tags alone, which is how it goes most years. I mean, past couple of years with our mule deer herds, they've kind of changed that and they've went to a lot of, we're going to take down the lion numbers to try and help save the deer herds. Yeah. Now, one thing that you had mentioned the other day was that a lot of the houndsmen don't really take females if they can avoid it. Um, what, what does that look like when you do hear about like mule deer populations or maybe what is the reason for not wanting to take females? Mainly for houndsmen for not wanting to take females is because we know they have kittens and that means that you know, one, you're not going to kill a mom that has kittens stashed away somewhere. I mean, if the right person knows what to look for, you can see that that female's nursing kittens. But also, you know, most lion kittens stay with their parents till they're at least a year old. So even though they're not nursing, she's still teaching these kittens how to live, still teaching them how to hunt and stuff like that. So if you kill a female, instead of killing one lion just for that year, you're essentially killing three but then if you look up to it, you know, in the year's future, you could be killing 40 lions. Whereas Dang. if you just kill a tom, you're killing one lion and another one's going to come in and take his place to breed these females. And, I mean, if you look at it in a trophy hunting aspect, if you're going to go pay money to go on a guided hunt and go for a trophy, I would much rather, you know, kill a tom that's twice, almost twice the size as most females bigger more i mean if you're looking at the mount as well definitely a lot bigger prettier more impressive mount i mean most of your females you're gonna range around 80 pounds for a good one at least around here where we live whereas a lot of these good toms are you know in between 120 to 150 pounds so definitely 
a big difference as yeah. far as that goes. That that was really surprising when we talked about that in the truck the other day, the size of the cats. Um, and I think it probably was in part due to social media because, like, randomly you'll see the cat where the guy's, like, doing everything he can to lift it up. The butt and the tail and the back legs are still dragging on the ground. It's like, guy shoots 300-pound cat in Montana. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, 300 pounds, that is a giant cat. And then when we talked and you're like, I mean, if you get a 180-pound cat, you did something pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so that's all a bunch of BS. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I not, don't quote me on it, but I know there were some guys going back looking through records. And I think one of the, the biggest one I think that's ever been documented was, like, I think they said around 240. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure on that. And I, I mean, I'm a lot of those bigger cats that hit 180 to 200 or maybe just a hair over 200 are coming out of British Columbia or Alberta. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, I mean, you were showing me just some of the cats that you've been a part of. Um, and you're like, man, this guy's like six foot two and you can tell, I mean, he's, he's struggling to hold it up, mm -hmm. but you're like, yeah, that was like a 145 pound cat or 150 pound cat. And I'm like, Oh man. So, I mean, the size still is impressive when you actually look at how big the animal is, but the weight is way different from what oh, yeah. is advertised out there. Yeah, definitely. How many how many uh, hunts have you been on this year that you've ended up catching a cat? Ooh, I'd have to do some math. I think, I mean, the first of the season, we really didn't get much snow, so it was kind of slower. But then we started to get some snow, and I was hunting a lot more than I have in the past. I think this year I'm sitting right close to, I'd say, in between 15 and 20. Nice. That's that's amazing. Like, <laughs> that, that seems so crazy to me. Like, you've treed more cats than I've shot ducks this year. Uh, <laughs> that, I mean, that's not really saying much because <laughs> I don't shoot a lot of ducks most years, but... Um, that's pretty sweet. What, uh, has it been a mix of different terrains that you've caught them in? Uh, like some in trees, some up on rocks, big trees, small trees. What does that look like? Um, mainly where I hunt, I catch them all in like some smaller juniper type trees. Um, if I travel and go hunt with some friends, we usually always catch them in some big ponderosas, but very rarely where I hunt, do I ever catch them on like rocks or ledges? Usually that's over when I'm traveling with other people, but the units I hunt, I don't get that very often. So most, I'd say 90% of my trees when I'm by myself are in like a bigger juniper style tree. So not real far off the ground. Yeah. I mean, seeing all your, all your posts on TikTok and Instagram, I'm like, man, he is like basically face to face with this cat in some situations and seeing how close the dogs get to them. Um, that was another thing that surprised me. I mean, I, I just didn't think that I would be, you know, within 15, 20 feet of a cat. For some reason, I always thought they're going to be way up in this tree, like 70 feet up or whatever. But you're like, they can get that high. But for the most part, especially here, mm -hmm. they're pretty close to you. Yeah. I mean, if you hunt some of that country that's got those bigger ponderosas, I mean, they can be 30, 40, 50 feet up some of those trees. Most of the time they won't go way high, but I mean, they can definitely get up there, but the terrain that I hunt, there's not any kind of those trees around. So it's all, they either will catch it on a rock or a ledge, which is very rare, but mostly always just in those juniper style trees that aren't very big. I mean, most of them, I can walk up to the base, you know, when I'm petting up dogs or leashing up dogs and I'll be within 10 feet of the cat. Dang. That's so crazy. Um, what, with that height or being that close to them, what would you recommend for a hunter to bring out as far as a weapon, um, like pistol, rifle, bow, any of the above? Um, I mean, bow's getting pretty popular. A lot of guys like to use bow, which is fine. I mean, the only hard part with a bow is if you end up catching it, um, like in a hole, cause sometimes they'll go in a hole or a cave, you know, if people call them and that kind of eliminates the bow. Um, but, most smaller caliber rifles like a 223, 204, 243 are great. You don't need anything bigger than that. You can. You're just going to blow a little bit of a hole in it. 
Yeah. And I've seen some taken with pistols. I mean, but sometimes pistols are harder if you do catch them in those bigger trees that they're 40, 50 feet up. You know, you definitely, I'd say a rifle or a bow over that. But yeah. I've definitely seen them taken with nines, a couple with some 40s. Yeah, I was I was back and forth on what to bring, and I ended up not bringing my bow just because of space in the car. I mean, we've got a Camry, and the rest of my hunting equipment already took up the whole trunk. So uh, <laughs> uh, I ended up bringing that 30-30, and then I've got a 9 millimeter that I just carry with me. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's plenty. Mm-hmm. Like, you could shoot it with either one of those. You'd be totally fine. And so we'll see. I mean, tomorrow's the last day, and uh, I'm hopeful Every day, I mean, we've got on. We the dogs have been barking and, and moving pretty good. So, oh yeah, hopefully yeah. something uh, happens tomorrow where we actually get on one. Yeah, all it takes is going down the right road on the right day. I mean, you can cut the same road four days in a row and you'll have nothing. And then the last day, line crossing. I mean, just depends on what day it's on its route through there that you get lucky. Yeah. Do you have Do you have a lot of people get car sick when they go with you? Uh, I've never had an adult get car sick, but my little boy pukes almost every time. So <laughs> if I put him in the front seat, he's usually pretty good. But if he's in the back seat, he usually hangs his head out the window and pukes. <laughs> yeah, I've never had any issues with motion sickness, but like the amount of time you're spending just looking down. And I mean, you got to <laughs> I have whacked my head pretty good on the top of the door frame a couple times because <laughs> I'm like leaning out, not paying any attention to where we're going. And all of a sudden we just hit a big bump or go over a rock. And uh, <laughs> it's fun, though. I mean, I was telling you today, I've got friends that would come out for a week just to do the off roading that we've done oh, yeah. over the past three days. It's been it's been killer. Oh, it's different. I mean, it gets a little more Western when you get some snow on the ground in a few spots, but I've got a buddy that's perfected the art of, he lays on, you know, the, where just the truck where you lean out on the window and he'll fall asleep and he looks like he's looking for tracks, he keeps his head in the right <laughs> spot, but he sleeps while <laughs> look for tracks. I don't know how he does it, but I've caught him doing it three or four times where he'll just lay his head right there on the window and just go to sleep. <laughs> that's so funny. I uh I definitely could not sleep in the truck. I mean, like on the drive back, there's been a couple times where I've thought, like, man, I wonder if Dustin would care if I just pass out. But it's not that far of a drive from from where we're staying. So, oh yeah. Um, but it, man, it's it's exciting. It's exhausting. There's a lot of highs and lows with it. And so, for anybody coming out here, just have your expectations in check to where it's like you might put. I mean, I don't even know. Do you know how many miles we put on the trek? Oof. I'd say we're probably close to, I'd say probably three to 400 right now. And and it just depends. I mean, like, you know, we've been starting at a decent time, you know, around seven. But, I mean, if you're hunting snow, a lot of mornings you're starting at four, three or four in the morning. So yeah. you're going to start. And that's when we start looking for tracks. So you're going to be up before that, and then you're going to go all day long. So those days are a lot more grueling and a lot more tiresome when you're on the ride back. <laughs> yeah. What What do you think the, or how much do you think the odds increase of finding a lion and getting it in a tree when there's snow versus dry ground? Close to 100%. I mean, it's just so much more easier to see the tracks. It's easier on the dogs everything's just easier except for sometimes mobility when the snow gets too deep. Yeah. But yeah, it's so much more easier and effective with snow. Well, and we, we haven't really gone through anywhere that had a lot of snow yet. I mean, a lot of it's been melted, but there'll be patches or chunks on the side of the road on the shaded side where it's 200 feet of snow. And it's insane how fast you can cruise on that and look for tracks in the snow Versus, oh, yeah. like, you're looking in maybe 10 feet of good dirt <laughs> and then maybe 200 feet of rocks. Yep. And even the tracks, there was one, I think it was the first day you pointed out, and it was, like, the first area that we went, and it was on some rocks, but you could just tell it had been flattened a little bit in one spot. And you're like, oh, hold on. And you get out, and I get out. I'm super pumped. I come <laughs> around the truck, and I'm looking, and I'm like, dude, I can barely see that right now. And you saw it <laughs> while you were driving a truck up a mountain. 
it's impressive. I mean, obviously, the more you do it, the better your eyes are for it. But. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and I hunt with some guys that do it completely for a living, and I'll be riding with them, and all of a sudden, it's just like, how'd you see that? Like, <laughs> I miss that completely, and they see it, you know, so it's just definitely a trained eye and a skill, especially when you're hunting the dirt. Yeah, I, I think it, I mean, I bet you if there was snow on the ground, I could be as good at tracking in the snow as you are in the dirt, but then you would still be about a hundred times better (laughs) in the snow as I am in the snow. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm definitely coming back no matter what happens tomorrow, whether we get a cat or not, like I will be back out here. Um, you also though chase after bears with your hounds. Yes. Let's switch gears and talk about that for a little bit because that's also intriguing, and I've also seen all of your videos on social media <laughs> about that. Uh, bears are fun. They're definitely a lot more fast-paced, um, and it's, I mean, we don't, I still look for tracks, but a lot of the way we hunt bears is completely up to the dogs. They help out. They make it so much easier. I mean, we, we throw the dogs on top of the box and hook them to the rig rack with chains, and essentially we just drive down roads i mean and i'll look for tracks but you don't always see it but for the most part they'll just open up or bark when they smell where a bear's been close to the road or where one's crossed the road or anything like so they definitely make it a lot easier or help out i guess a lot more with that yeah. and then from there it's a lot more fast-packed like quick moving race versus mountain lion i mean in the snow mountain lion's a lot faster than it is the dirt but bears it's just straight up hauling butt going as fast as they can and they just stink a lot more which is what allows the dogs to track quickly Mm -hmm. and not have to take their time yeah bears stink more but their scent burns off faster if that makes sense okay lions don't stink quite as bad but their scent will stay a little longer so you can cold trail lions which is running you know a little bit older track and catch them but cold trailing bears, you can do it if you're really looking for a big one and wanting to kill it. But if if you're not, if you're just out to run and chase, it's kind of just a waste of time. Yeah. Well, and you've you've been telling me stories about just how different the temperament is for mountain lions versus bears. Oh yeah. What uh? I mean, and the videos, <laughs> some <laughs> of those bears, man. I'm like, dude, I would not get anywhere near that thing. That thing seems like a psycho. Yeah. They definitely get a lot meaner. Cats, for the most part, want nothing to do with the dogs, nothing to do with you. They just as soon be up in the tree and just stay there. I mean, some of them will jump when they see you just because they're not used to seeing people or that's just how they are. But they're not coming out looking for a fight. And sometimes bears do. Or sometimes bears won't even tree if they're big enough and it's just a fight on the ground. Yeah. I just hearing the stories about your dogs and like, encountering bears or like seeing those videos of bears like not climbing the tree and just wanting to tear everything apart i was surprised by the athleticism of the dogs because in my mind i'm like man bears and lions that's what they do for a living they kill like Mm -hmm. they just eat all the time or they're they're so athletic and in my mind like a house dog is a house dog well your dogs are like peak athletes watching them climb up and down the mountains and then in the videos like elude a bear that's coming for their throat. Mm -hmm. It's so impressive. Yeah. I mean, and it definitely, you know, depends from dog from dog, you know, on how they handle the bears. Most of mine are not what you'd consider real gritty dogs. They're not going to get in there and, you know, try and pull hair. Mine stay, you know, a few feet away and stuff like that. So it, Helps them there, but definitely those guys that have more of those gritty dogs that like to get in and kind of get a little more rough with the bear, they they get a little roughed up, you know, and some of, them will be, some of them even lose dogs. Yeah. I've been very fortunate enough that I haven't yet, so. Yeah, that's good. I, can, I can't imagine, I mean, being a houndsman and, like, seeing your passion for the dogs, even hearing you say things like, man, this is where I find myself, it doesn't matter if we're on a track or not, like, walking the walking with these dogs just moving and working in front of me this is what i live for um to to have an experience where you have to watch one you know get taken out i i can't imagine yeah i'm not looking forward to the day that that comes i do it long enough i'm sure it's gonna happen but i'm definitely not looking forward to it and then having to explain to my kid 
that it was their dog that got it. Yeah. Is <laughs> not something I want to do, but they understand it. They understand, you know, the bears and lions are part of it. They know, they hear the stories of friends that have had dogs get taken and stuff like that, but it doesn't mean they're not going to get attached and cry and make dad feel bad. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that would ever be easy. No. But to see the individual, like, personality of the dogs, that's been cool. I've been working on learning all 10 of the dogs' names. Um, I'm, I think I'm pretty close. Like, if you pointed at one and said go, it might take me five or 10 seconds to remember, like, okay, that one has got spots. It's reddish colored. That one's red. Yep. Uh, I think I think it's cool to just see you work as we move up the mountain or move through a drainage, and you hear something, and you're like, oh, there's Waylon. He's way up here. Oh, there's Zeus. Or here comes boomer he's way back <laughs> behind us uh to hear to just hear the bark and know which dog it is um to know the different personalities and which ones you take out of the kennel together and then to see how well trained you have them you open that dog box and you're like waylon and all the other dogs are like all right move out of the way let him out <laughs> and then you just go through one after the next i'm like holy cow i have never had one dog that's been trained this good you've got 10 <laughs> this is pretty impressive uh, it's a lot of time spent that's for sure i mean i i spend more time with dogs than i do with people i think most weeks so. yeah <laughs> i mean you you've got it down for sure um so you'll you'll switch gears here in a couple months to bear hunting mm -hmm. i guess we didn't cover that what is the best time for mountain lion hunting here in utah um usually the best as far as just being able to find cats to run is kind of more in like that november december january area i mean right now would be decent if we had you know a little bit better snow and stuff like that but that's definitely at the first of the season when there's more cats walking around that haven't been harvested you know, and the snow's coming in a lot more regular than it is right now. So that's definitely kind of my peak season of when I really start to, you know, catch quite a few. Yeah. Well, in another thing, I, sorry, this whole, this whole podcast is going to be about things that surprise me because <laughs> there's a lot, um, in talking with you about like, when do the cats come into heat? Cause it, almost everything you hunt, it's better during the breeding season, mm -hmm. right? You can either call them or they're more active. They're chasing after one another. They're fighting. There's just more alive in the woods when breeding season's going on, it seems like. For cats, they could kind of come into heat whenever, right? Yeah, from what I understand and what I've been kind of told and done my research that it kind of just depends on the cat, you know, because you can be hunting in the wintertime and, you know, cut a female that has just, tiny kitten tracks and then two canyons over you'll cut another female that has kitten tracks that are twice that size so i mean and as fast as they grow they're definitely not born a year apart yeah. you know they're born six seven months apart or maybe not even that long apart so i think it just kind of depends on the female and you know they also keep their young with them for up to a year i think sometimes even over that but usually they'll kick them off around kind of that year mark and so it all just depends on, I think, when they're born, when they come into their cycle, but also, you know, some of those toms will come in and kill kittens just to bring them back into heat. So that kind of tells me just right there that they're not coming in one time a year. Because yeah. if that's that was the case, then I don't think it'd quite be that bad that they'd come in and want to kill them. They'd just wait for the next heat cycle. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of animals, it's based on daylight um, or it's just like within – for, for white-tailed deer in the Midwest, like November 1st through 7th, it's like the peak breeding season. Mm -hmm. But if you look all across the country, I mean, it could be two or three months earlier or later. Oh, yeah. um, but with mountain lions, if a male is killing cubs just to bring the female into heat, that means they could obviously come into heat at any time throughout the year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was very interesting. As far as, as bears go, when is the best to hunt bears out here in Utah? Um, I kind of really anywhere from about May till, you know, August and September are really good. We're not allowed to chase them all those months in between, but it really starts to pick up. They start to come out of their dens, you know, sometime right around the first of May or maybe a hair end of May is mm -hmm. when they'll start to come out and move. And that's when we really start to catch them. Our season opens like the first week of April, but 
that first couple weeks of April is pretty well just useless because a lot of them are still in their dens and if they're out of their dens they're not moving very far not crossing roads so i mean may's a really good month and then june they kind of shut it down for the bait hunters and then we have a chase season which is just you know strictly just treeing them in july and that's when it's a lot of fun we catch quite a few bears you know spending summers on the mountain camp and that's that's what my family and i really truly enjoy as far as family time hunting yeah i I guess I was surprised and a lot of my friends were when I showed them your social media accounts and your whole family. I mean, like all of this stuff, you get your entire family involved, Mm -hmm. like from the oldest to the youngest. And they all know how to, you know, help with the dogs, but also they get up close to the trees. And I know you've got a little bit of flack (laughs) for that on some of the social media posts, but you know, these cats and you know, like a cat's not jumping out of a tree, just come after a person. No matter how big or small they are. Yeah, they want they want nothing to do with you. They're so afraid of people and stuff like that that they're the only time they're ever gonna come after you is if you really like put them in a bind that you know you're climbing in the tree with them or if they're caught on the ground and you're going in to do something with them right there. But if they're in a tree and the dogs are at the bottom, you're the farthest thing from what they want to come after. They're looking for a way to jump and bail out, or they're just going to stay up there because they know nothing's coming up there after them. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like if I had a whole bunch of things chasing after me, making ungodly noise that I'd never heard before, <laughs> I'd probably try to hide and just get away. Oh yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like, Hey, what do you want? Like, let's make something happen. Well, and like some of these cats, you know, that have been caught a few times and know the routine, it's taken me, you know, maybe an hour or two to hike into the dogs. You'll get there, and if you're quiet enough coming in, half the time they look like they're up there asleep. Like they're not all alert, just thinking everything's coming after them. I mean, they just know that this dog can't climb this tree, and I'm good, and I'm going to lay down and catch my breath, you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing that surprised me was how, like, I, I figured a mountain lion would be a super hard animal to kill, like multiple shots or, you know, they just have that toughness and grit to them. Mm-hmm. But you were like, honestly, I mean, it happens pretty quick. Like you yeah. put it through the lungs and there's not much to it. It's not like it's going to, it's not like it's going to run for a mile after you shoot it. Yeah. No. And mountain lions have, you know, a little bit smaller lungs than, you know, like most of your big game animals and bears and stuff. So they are not very long winded. I mean, they, they can get out and stay in front of the dogs if they kind of hit more of a trot. But if they're on a sprint, they're gassed really, really quick. Yeah. And it, that makes sense. Like, you see wolves, and they're chasing caribou herds for miles and miles sometimes. But cats, I mean, they lie in wait, and then they pounce. Yep. And if they don't get it, it's not like there's a chase that's taking taking them across the county. Oh, yeah. No, if they're not there on it pretty quick, then they're just like, ah, I'll wait for another one. Try again. Yeah. What, um, if, if you had any gear recommendations for people coming out, is there something specific that you're like, do not forget this or, or make sure you're used to using this or wearing this? Like for me, it would be boots. Mm -hmm. Like boots are 100% the number one thing that you have to focus on keeping your feet dry, keeping them comfortable, like not getting sore or cramped up or getting blisters. So I tell everybody. If you're going out west to hunt, break your boots in long before you show up. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then waterproof boots. I mean, you're going to be dealing with snow, mud, everything like that. But, yeah, a good pair of boots definitely goes a long, long ways, you know. I mean, you can get into the technical pants. I mean, I wouldn't hike in jeans. They're not comfortable enough to hike in for me. And also, if you're dealing with water and snow, that's just a bad combination with jeans. But most of your hunting gear now is pretty well up to date that I think you'd be great. But yeah, I would say boots for sure, you know, and definitely gear that can hold up to a little bit, you know, rougher as far as trees and oak brush and stuff like that goes, especially down here. Yeah. I, I ripped a hole in my boot or my, my pants yesterday. (laughs) Um, right away I knew it. It was like, I could feel the poke, make it through the pants. And then all of a sudden I looked down and they were ripped up, but it wasn't too bad. Um, I would also say have, have like a layering system mm-hmm. that is quick and easy. Cause you don't want to be stopping. Like once those, it, I couldn't believe how fast my pace changed and my mindset changed from when we were just trying to climb a cliff 
versus when the dogs were barking and I was trying to climb a cliff. Oh yeah. Like it, there was nothing on my mind. I didn't feel the fatigue. I didn't feel the pain. I'm like, Oh, it's go time. This is amazing. It's adrenaline. And, and that's one piece of advice that if I could give someone, I mean, you can't stop it, but when you hear them, that adrenaline kicks in and goes in, but it's, it's kind of like a waiting game. You have to mm-hmm. settle down. I mean, it's not like, Oh, they barked instantly in 10 minutes. We're going to catch a cat. Cause I mean, some of those trails, especially on the dirt, I mean, it can go all day long before you finally catch up and get it jumped, you know. And snow hunting's a lot different, you know. If you find a fresh track, we're going to cut those dogs loose and we're going to hear them go up and over the ridge and then we're not going to see them again, you know. Yeah. So it's, then there's a lot of lie and wait, you know. People get so excited, oh, they're on one, let's go. And then they got to wait two hours in the truck as we move around or as we hike in and it's, oh, the adrenaline's gone. <laughs> it's good to, it's good to see you in your element. But also, it was kind of frustrating as someone who didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. because you're like, all right, well, yeah, let's just kind of sit. And I'm like, shouldn't we be like climbing this mountain after the dogs? <laughs> what if it's right in front of them? Like we could see it running away. And you were like, yeah, let's just sit and wait. They'll probably make their way back down. And sure enough, 10 minutes goes by and they're down in front of us. And I'm like, man, I'm glad he knows what he's doing because that just <laughs> saved me a hike up and over this giant mountain. Well, and a lot of it's you know, listening to the dogs. Yeah, I can tell their barks, but also a lot of times you can tell what's going on with how they're barking or how many of them are joining in. You know, if they're close enough to the cat that it's right in front of them, every one of those dogs is going to be right there and they're all going to be making noise. You know, if it's just one or two dogs kind of pecking away at it, most of the time it's not something we're going to catch real quick. You know, it could be hours or it could be something that they're just catching good scent here and there, but they're not going to be able to trail it and finish it. Yeah. Uh, how long do you, if you had to give an average, how long do you think, like, once they got on the trail to the time they have a cat treed, what does that typically look like? Uh, on average, like with snow hunting, usually you can have them treed within, I mean, I've had some as quick as 15 minutes, but usually around an hour to two hours, depending on the country and where they're headed. I've had some go longer, but most of mine, you know, the dogs are out for one and a half to two, maybe two and a half hours, and they've got it caught. Yeah. But, I mean, some of them are quicker and some of them are longer. Yeah. you. I think you've told me a couple of the stories about your quicker ones and then your longer ones. Mm-hmm. We hiked some of the country on one of your longer ones where you're like, we started way over there where we were driving today, <laughs> and we ended up over here. And I'm like, oh, crap. Yep. I hope that doesn't happen. But um, if, if people are going to be prepared to hike a certain distance – is there like a type of training you think they should do or just get comfortable uh, suffering hiking up and down <laughs> mountains? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And elevation plays a huge change into it. You know, you got guys that are coming from sea level and you're coming up, to, you know, where I live is at 6,000 feet. And some of these mountains we hike get up to 10,000 feet. So that's hard to train for. But, I mean, just being in decent shape is definitely going to help. But it's definitely something you kind of just have to – put your mind aside to and say, I got to push through it if I'm going to do it, you know? And it's also a lot different if you know that that cat's treed, you know, we turned out on a Tom track, dogs have got it caught, they're treed. You definitely can pull a little more out of the tank when you know something like that's there. Yeah. Well, it, I thought it was cool. You were mentioning how sometimes you'll see the direction the dogs are going and realize, Hey, we can go back to the truck Mm-hmm. all downhill back to the truck, drive around and get out in front of them. And we might only be a couple hundred yards away from where they have it treed instead yep. of pursuing them all the way back in and then having a couple mile hike back to the truck. Yep. And that's something, you know, I'd have to give it to the old timers before all these GPS collars, even the telemetry collars and stuff came into play is that's the only way they had to stay with the dogs was keep up with them as best they could and listen for them and follow their tracks mm-hmm. till whatever happened whether they found it or not just the way it is but we definitely have an advantage where we can be like oh they're going up over this canyon they're going to hit the next one and if they go down there's a road that's right there you know we can be a lot closer if we drive around and get right there and then we can either hike into them if they tree or try and help them out things like that definitely makes a big difference yeah the technology is insane you were showing me that the collars or your gps will tell you the frequency of the barking Mm-hmm. Um, if it's got it treed, how far each individual dog has gone. And 
I cannot imagine just having to keep up with the dogs. Oh yeah. That seems crazy because it, it wasn't like we were at a sprint trying to keep up with them yesterday, but like they went way back in and we did a decent job of, of sticking with them, Mm -hmm. but they were on dry ground on an older track. Dude, if it was snow covered and it was a fresh track, there's no chance. And that's most of the time. I mean, unless it's an older snow track, a lot of times when I cut them loose, I don't even hike after them because there's no way in hell I'll keep up with them at all. Like they just, they can flat out cover country and my two legs aren't going to do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm like barely squeezing in between two (laughs) chunks of oak brush and these dogs are just like sprinting. I bet you there were times today where the dogs covered 300 feet in the time it took me to cover five. Oh yeah. And I'm just like, I think I've mentioned to you multiple times this week. Like I wish I had half of their athleticism. We suck. Like people <laughs> are not good at moving through the wilderness. Oh no. N- nothing like some of these like dogs or even these animals like bears and lions and anything like that. It's no comparison. Yeah. What, um, uh, moving back to, to bear hunting for a minute, what, what cartridge or rounds or weapons would you recommend for bear hunting? Um, definitely. I mean, I'd say a lot bigger than a cat, especially if when you're dealing with these bigger bears, you kind of need some of that knockdown power. You don't want them coming out and tearing into dogs or a lot of these bigger bears you have to kill on the ground. So I, I personally like at least a seven mag okay. is my, I'd say at least that or a little bigger just because it's got that knockdown pounder, a little more oomph with those bears, especially if you hit them in those front shoulders. I mean, those things are just straight pure muscle and they're hard to go through. Yeah. On, on both a bear and a cat are the vitals and is, is the anatomy of them pretty similar to a whitetail or, or an elk or what other, other animals that people would be used to hunting? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, best shots right behind the shoulder, kind of center of the body up and down. Nice. I, I guess it would be pretty different trying to hunt like from below. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine m- most people whitetail hunting is by far the biggest um, type of hunting in the country. But most people when they're whitetail hunting are up in a tree stand shooting down on an animal. How much does it change? Is it a pretty big learning curve getting someone to, to make a good shot coming from below? Ah. Not so much. I mean, really, it's just a matter of aim just a hair low because you're going to go up through that animal versus straight through it. So yeah. it's, it'd be almost, you know, kind of like correcting when you're sitting up in a tree stand versus flat on the ground on where you're going to aim on that whitetail. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, man, I can't wait. I'm so pumped. <laughs> I'm 100% hooked. And we've been talking about this. And even my wife, she's like, well, if you don't get one tomorrow, that just means you have another trip out to Utah. I'm like... <laughs> Maybe if I do get one tomorrow, we just won't tell her, and I'll come back to Utah anyway. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, oh, what what kind of hunts are you hoping to do in the future? Is there like a is there a bucket list hunt that you want to do with your dogs? Yeah. Oh yeah. I I I don't know if it'll ever happen in the states, but I I want to be able to catch a lynx and kill a lynx with my dogs. That would be amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, I want to kill a lot of other stuff, but that's one that's definitely. I will do that before I die. Yeah. I I mean, most links, is is that an issue that you think about quite a bit or worry about? Because if, you, if you're in lynx country, odds are you're in grizzly and wolf country as mm-hmm. well. Um, I, guess, I guess you haven't had to worry about those types of predators here. No, down here we don't have any wolves. I mean, if we do, there's a single or so that comes through, but nothing to really ever cause a problem. And no grizzlies down here. I mean... Yeah. Back in the day, there used to be, but they've been long gone. So, yeah, that's definitely a concern, and that's why I think when I decide to do it, I'll go to, you know, Canada up to B.C., and for us to be able to do that, you have to go hunt with an outfitter that will let you come run your dogs. So their knowledge will be there as far as what we can and can't do and what areas are good and stuff like that. But, I mean, every time we turn these dogs loose, even here, every time you turn them loose, there's a chance one's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that'd be wild. I mean, it makes sense seeing the country and then even the animals that they're encountering. Mm-hmm. Anything could happen. And like you said, if they get caught on the ground, a bear or a lion, nothing wants to be backed into a corner. No, so. exactly. You know, it just like I say a lot of it depends on the dog, but you know, situations can go south real fast and 
you know, that's that's a risk you take, but also at the same point, I'm not going to keep these dogs from doing what they love. Because a lot of people kind of think, oh, you train them and make them do it. And now that you've been around these dogs, they live for it. Oh, they yeah. love it. Like, yeah, if, you, if one of them doesn't make it out of the box, you can tell. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like, come on, really? Why not me? <laughs> Please put me in. It's like being the last kid picked on yeah, a team in, exactly. in school. Yeah, it's been it's been a treat, man. It's been so much fun and like this has been an amazing trip and a successful trip regardless of if I ever pull the trigger. And honestly, I've been kind of torn mm-hmm. the whole time. Um if we got one looking up and seeing an animal like that for the first time, I'm still in the air if mm-hmm. I would actually pull the trigger on it or not. Um but I will say this, this is not going to be my last time hunting behind your hounds. <laughs> they have been awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. It's a blast. I enjoy it a lot. I mean, that's, it's definitely not a hobby. It's, it's a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I see that <laughs> like going to your house and seeing all the dogs. I mean, seeing that your whole family takes part in, in your passion and now a lot of their passions mm-hmm. um, and then seeing the, the love that your dogs have for you guys and for the hunt is, is pretty cool. Um, but man, thank you so much for hopping on the call. Thank you more than that for, for putting up with me the past couple of days. You're like a freaking mountain goat out there. <laughs> I'm just dead weight behind you trying to huff it up the mountain. Ah, it's different when you live here and do it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, sweet. I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning. Hopefully we can, hopefully we can get one in a tree. And, um, if not, maybe I'll come back in July and, chase some bears with you oh yeah come on out we'll have a great time sounds good man thanks oh thank you well there you have it guys that is going to wrap it up for today's episode and i hope you took away a ton of information if you're planning on being out west hunting mountain mountain lion or bear or anything like that i i hope this can shed some light on what to expect when you're out there now i'm going to bring this to a close by talking about how our final day went unfortunately we did not get any snow that night in fact we got out we got up um, a little bit earlier in hopes that there would be snow there was not we got up to the mountains where we were gonna where we were gonna chase after some animals we drove some roads looked for tracks but we didn't do that for very long before we just said hey we're gonna go down to a spot where dustin knew Uh, that there had been a mountain lion recently and we ended up getting on our best track of the whole week so normally when you're looking at the gps you can see all the different uh, dogs and their markers on the gps going different directions zigzagging maybe heading the same general area but they're fanned out trying to find trying to find some scent and this time we got on a spot where the dogs were like right on top of each other. Looking at the GPS, it looked like a single file, perfectly straight line going up this drainage. And they were barking and going crazy for probably 45 minutes. I mean, we thought it was going to happen. They get up to these bluffs though. And I pulled out my binos. I'm looking all over thinking, man, that thing might've been bedded down overnight. Unfortunately though, it never really turned in anything. They got up and out of sight of us. We were watching the GPS and from the best that Dustin could tell, they they had found an old kill maybe and a lot of scent coming in and out from that kill. And so they kept going back to this one spot, spreading out, coming back, spreading out. And they did that for quite a while while we watched, but we put on probably another seven miles, I would guess, on that final day. And it wasn't until the morning that we had to leave that I woke up to... A full inch of snow and I was so bummed but I will be heading back out there I'm telling you that right now watching those dogs work watching them in their element just running I mean like running full speed through the mountains following a trail it was one of the coolest experiences of my life and definitely one of the most beautiful places that I have ever hunted so I'll be going back out hopefully this summer actually hopefully this spring for turkey and then summer for bear and then this coming fall, probably a couple months earlier for mountain lion. Anyways, I think Dustin and I are going to be lifelong friends. We had a great time hanging out out there with his family, man. Yeah. Sorry to disappoint. If anybody's like, man, you didn't get one. I'm telling you, I wouldn't change a thing. Like it was 
very, very awesome being out there. So hopefully you guys are having some amazing experiences this winter as well. Hopefully you're getting out shed hunting, um, checking trail cameras, seeing, seeing what's still alive, what made it through the seasons. And I hope you're applying for tags right now. There are so many tags going on right now. If you don't, if you don't have any type of reminders as far as hunting tags or application dates, I would highly encourage you to download some type of software that will tell you when you have to apply for certain states that you're interested in because they are all going on right now. In fact, some of the application periods are already over. But go find a software, go get a hunt planned, and until next time, go chase something new.